Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. I have an exciting episode to share with you today. Um, I am joined by the lovely Katie and I've been sort of fangirling Katie a bit on Instagram recently. Um, She is a hypnotherapist and a psychotherapist and she specialises in dealing with people with anxiety and, you know, stress and overwhelm and things like that. So our content is so, so good. Um, so if you take nothing else from this podcast, definitely go and have a look at our content on Instagram. Um, but I wanted to get her on to have a wee chat because we both sort of work within the the health and fitness mindset space, whether that's physically, so from what I do as an online fitness coach, but mentally as well obviously the sort of side that Katie deals with more um and there's definitely an an overlap with them so I thought it would be really useful for Katie to come on and tell us a bit about um the sort of links between it and see a sort of behind the scenes of what's maybe going on inside your brain if this is sort of stuff that you've thought of in the past um so Katie if you would like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do yeah, sure. So I'm Katie Windle. I'm the owner of the Hypnotherapy Den. I'm a solution-focused hypnotherapist. So um, there's different types of hypnotherapists out there. I, I, The way that I operate is we look at, we don't look at the past. We don't look at digging up anything that's happened before. We look at, it's more like goal setting for the future yeah. um, with hypnotherapy in um mixed together so yeah it's um, a really pleasant type of therapy actually and people really do enjoy that um so yeah I support clients with their goals and usually the clients that I see have anxiety or depression or they're struggling with stress or and that can show up in so many different ways actually so a lot of people that come to see me have problems with sleep. So they are waking up in the night or, you know, even really oversleeping and things like that. Um, other things that they might have, um, a lot of it is uh, negative thought patterns and be- and um, behaviours as well linked to that. Um, OCD, um, PTSD, I've had people that have had specific things happen to them in the past and then it's triggered anxiety that... Um, that they struggle to cope with people pleasing, social anxiety, anger, emotional eating, um, anxiety linked to perimenopause. I'm seeing quite a lot of um, women mm-hmm. with that as well. So it anxiety is a real, <laughs> it can show up in so many different ways. It's yeah. yeah, it's and it's unique to everybody as well. Yeah, I think like even as you're just rhyming off all those things, like I know myself, I'm like, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. So probably <laughs> like so many people listening to this can relate to it as well. And it's, you know, whether or not it's, you know, you had every one of those things on the list or just a few, but I think we can, we all sort of struggle with these things, but as much as, you know, mental health and everything's getting spoken about a lot more, we do still have a tendency to sort of suffer on the inside with these things. So it's it's really yeah. nice to be able to have like chats like these and you can say 100% like I relate to that and I know mm. like it, you feel a bit less alone with it, I suppose. Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the levels of stress that people carry around with them and it's kind of a cultural thing as well. We're just supposed to 
get on with it and it's not healthy at all and it impacts it doesn't just impact your mental health it, it impacts your physical health as well so it's completely um seen as a normal thing to feel stressed all the time but it really doesn't have to be like that and there are so many things that we can do to to feel better and it's such a better place to be um stress is a normal part of life but if it's something that is you know it's sending you over the edge um and it's making you behave in particular ways then you know it's time to do something about it um, but yeah, I love I love my the therapy that I do is absolutely fascinating because it's backed by neuroscience as well, which is was the real pull for me when I was deciding what to do with this. So there's the studies that I um, have gone into it, and the the sessions that I have with my um, clients, I educate all about how the brain works and how hypnotherapy fits into that. So it's really, really fascinating when you kind of understand what is actually going on inside your head and realise that actually I'm a normal person and these <laughs> reactions are normal, but there is a way out of this, you know. Yeah. So I, I will go, I'll, I'll definitely have to explain a bit more about how the brain works in here to help you um, understand what I'm talking about. But yeah. Um, yeah, I got into this because of my own anxiety as well. So I was um, struggling quite badly and I have again I've struggled for years and years probably since my teenage years carrying all this stuff around and just thinking well this is me this is my personality this is just what I'm like um, and it's taken me to be in my early 40s to be able to actually realize that I can actually do something about it and it isn't I am not anxiety it's not it's yeah. just something that um has happened and but there is you know something that I can do to get out of it so it's great to know that we can make those changes yeah <laughs> oh, it's so so relatable because <clears throat> Katie and I were having a, a quick chat there before we came on the podcast and like I said to Katie as well it's anxiety is something that I've struggled with my my whole life as well you know there's mm-hmm. been sort of peaks and troughs with it um yeah. But I do, I remember even being in school thinking, does everybody else find things this difficult? Like, is it it just me? And then it's, you know, as the sort of, as times progressed, and obviously it's much more of a conversation that we have now, um, you know, you sort of learn round about what it is. um, Mm -hmm. But it's so useful to know that, like, everybody else is, not everybody else, but, you know, a lot of people experience this as well. And it's something that I see a lot with so some clients especially in the sort of initial stages of you know starting their health and fitness journey Mm -hmm. or even just conversations they get into on social media you know it's I can sense particularly if it's somebody that's really tried say it's for for weight loss or um you know they're, they're trying to get back into exercising after having time away for whatever reason and they've tried a few times and sort of failed or it's not worked there's this real underlying sort of um what's the word like belief that they can't really get there or they really they, they won't be able to achieve it so they really really want it and you can yeah. tell they really want it but there's that sort of limiting belief that they can actually uh-huh. get there and I think that's so relatable to a lot particularly women you know my main audience is as women um, yeah. and I think for women that's such a strong thing you know even though you really want to do something there's that sort of 
you know, glass ceiling that's that's holding mm-hmm. you back. Um, so is there anything that you can tell us sort of from the brain side of things? Yeah. Like, why this happens absolutely yeah so yeah limiting beliefs uh we all have them men and women we all Mm -hmm. have them and um they stop us from achieving our goals so they are thought patterns and behaviors that we have that simply hold us back from doing what intellectually we really want to do and it's because we have um the mind uh, the subconscious mind is uh, 95% of what is going on in the brain. So 95% of our thought patterns, behaviors, um, they're held in this subconscious part of the brain, which I I will get onto a bit more as we go through. And um, this is where we hold our limiting beliefs, basically. They're stuck in there. And most of them are actually formed in childhood before the age of eight. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do still collect them as we we grow up um, through you know, adolescence and adulthood as well, but most of it is formed before the age of eight. So you can imagine then what might be going on because as a child, obviously you're picking up, you're in your subconscious mind so much more than you are as an adult because you are, um, you haven't developed fully intellectually. So you're absorbing everything around you like a sponge and you're picking up everything that you hear and see. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you've had a bad childhood, mm-hmm. but you'll have picked up things from other adults that have formed this belief in your mind that this is this is the way I think about things. And it becomes a template in the brain. And it's it's we just fall back to it all the time. So it might be a really common limiting belief is I'm not good enough. Mm. And, you know, I would be surprised if... There isn't anybody out there that doesn't have some form of that in their mind to some extent. I'm not good enough to to be this, to achieve this. And so I'll give you an example. I was thinking of some examples that might link to sort of your area. And I was thinking about my own limiting beliefs. Um, So I know for a fact that when I was, uh, and I I was probably older than eight at this point, it will have been in secondary school, but I decided that I was not I was not active and I was not good at PE and I didn't want to do PE and the PE teachers didn't like me and all these things and I was just an average student and I wasn't particularly good or bad at it but because I wasn't like didn't feel like I was the star in PE I'd never I wasn't on the hockey team or the netball team or anything like that so I didn't really get much attention really I suppose from the those teachers that made me believe that I you know I just wasn't good enough I wasn't an active person I wasn't sporty and you know that was just me so I definitely formed that kind of um belief in in like in adolescence that I wasn't active and sporty kind of person mm-hmm. um and then other another one that was definitely formed in childhood uh which again may be linked to sort of your type of clients was to do with um body image and weight loss and things like that so I don't know about anyone that was around when you were younger but my mum was weight fluctuated often I remember her being on the Cambridge diet in the 80s which was like one of those milkshake diets and my mum would be very very slim and then she would gain weight and I would be absorbing all this as a child and you know fat is bad thin is good and 
I still have that limiting belief now. That's a really difficult one to to shake off. I've definitely worked on it and I'm getting better with um, the hypnotherapy that I've had. But these are the kind of patterns anyway that get stuck in the subconscious mind. And we just always fall back to that feel those feelings of not being good enough. Um, so yeah um hip, the reason why hypnotherapy is great for those is because during the therapy the process that we do we can reframe those beliefs and um corrupt those templates mm-hmm. and replace them with something more positive that helps us to actually feel good enough and you know be accepting of who we are and not feel as under pressure to have to be the skinniest or the the strongest or the best or whatever yeah. and just to be have more accepting of of who we are so yeah. so yeah that's where your limiting beliefs come from <laughs> it's so interesting because even you know as you were saying that there I was sort of thinking in my mind I remember when this happened in school I remember this moment and for me right Probably nobody else is interested in this, but I have to tell you now. Um, yeah, go on. <laughs> we had, it must have been primary, like, one or two in school. Um, I don't know what that is in England, like, year year one. I was about six yeah. or seven, right? And we had this dentist in to ask you, like, what you knew about cleaning your teeth. And it mm. said, when's the most important time to clean your teeth? And I was, like, so confident, hand up in the air and said, in the morning. And the dentist just went, no. And I was like, oh, yes, that would do it. And I honestly, like, so anyway, the most important time is at night, which I will never forget, right? But see the embarrassment and, like, how mortified I was. And I think I have sort of struggled then with, like, being confident in answering things or getting absolutely ever since. And I've never thought of that. I'll always remember that. But just when you said that, I'm like, that's probably one of those things. (laughs) That will be the probably major reason that you have a problem with feeling confident. Mm -hmm. Because from that moment on, that limiting belief was held and stored in your subconscious brain that if I try and be confident and put my hand up and give an answer, I'm going to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And the shame that you would have felt at the time like your brain now prevents you from being confident in I'm sure you're confident sometimes but so other times you might have been held back yep your brain has now got this pattern that says when we put ourselves out there um we're gonna we're gonna be um we're gonna have fear and we're gonna have shame yep. and kind of protect you from feeling that way so it stops you yeah and that's that's where that's where these things come from you and it's yeah it's so fascinating but yeah how amazing that you were just able to get yours like that that's so good do you know what? And, uh, honestly because it's something that I've always it's always been in my mind because just when you're saying like shame there as well like I proper feel a shit like shame because I've got this wrong and it was more because I had been so confident that I knew yeah, the answer. yeah. Um, that's it and your confidence was just knocked from that moment and uh-huh. you were a child as well so obviously when you're a child you see things from a a childlike perspective as well and that uh-huh. and that gets stored in the subconscious brain so yep. it's very hard to just think your way out of not feeling like that again yeah um, so yeah um yeah it's really fascinating isn't uh-huh. it so this is what I teach my clients then about the brain so I couldn't go through it all in, in this session now, uh, yeah. but we have basically we have the um, 
two parts of the brain that I discuss and, and I, we kind of simplify it obviously because brain knowledge could be very um, complicated if you, yep. if you wanted it to be. So we've got this, um, what we call the intellectual part of the brain, which is the conscious part, this part that we use to, to have our discussion now, the part that you feel like this is me. Yep. Um, and that's the conscious part. And we do have a subconscious part in this intellectual brain as well. And when we're working from this intellectual part of the brain, we feel confident, we generally get things right, we can find solutions, we feel brave, we can cope if things don't go so well. Mm. Um, but then we have this other part of the brain as well. Um, and this is the subconscious part. This part of the brain is all subconscious and I call it the primitive brain. And it's this part of the brain is um, not evolved since we were cavemen, basically. Mm. This is the part of the brain that um, is always scanning for danger because it's trying to keep you safe okay and it sees everything from the worst possible perspective it's very negative uh, but it has to be because it's the safety and survival instinct part of the brain so it has to see danger and it has to see things from a, 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 a difficult perspective um, and this is um, where our limiting beliefs are stored in there and all our emotions are very emotional in there. And that part of the brain doesn't know any other response, but anxiety, depression, or anger. These are the primitive responses that it uses to protect us. If we're in a, in a bad situation, if we're being attacked by a wild animal, you can imagine yeah. a caveman lifestyle, very different to how we live now, mm -hmm. but that, you know, they were very much on high alert all the time. And, you know, the, the intellectual brain wasn't developed as much as it is now. Obviously, we are evolved more, much more evolved than we were then. So we still have this part of the brain now that it's not changed. So what happens is when we have a lot of anxiety or if we've got depression or, um, you know, we've got anger issues or whatever it is, it's because we dwell in this part of the brain too much mm -hmm. um rather than being in our intellectual brain we spend a lot of time in there so it's when when you're in this part of the brain as well it's sending out constant like um stress signals into the body so it's sending out uh, adrenaline and cortisol into the body you feel like everyday situations are danger mm -hmm. so you are triggered by you know um the smallest things that other people that spend more time in their intellectual brain aren't. Yeah. Um, and it's a, like a downward spiral, really. If we can't get ourselves out of that, you know, everything appears to be dangerous. Like, I don't know, you have an argument with a friend and because you're, <clears throat> you're so in your primitive part of the brain, you really struggle to get over it and you're replaying it in your mind all the time and it and it pulls you down and down and, and you're sending out all these uh, stress hormones into the body constantly. Mm -hmm. um, whereas maybe the friend that you had the argument with was in their intellectual brain, they might have felt a bit, they might have gone into the primitive brain a bit, but then they've quickly, because they haven't got, they're not carrying around a lot of stress with them, they've gone back into their intellectual brain and they've managed to get over it. So we're all kind of different like that, depending on how much stress we have in our life, basically. The more stressed you are, the more time you spend in your primitive brain. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, interesting. Yeah, there's because obviously, I mean, 
we know now, you know, ev everybody knows these days that, you know, particularly for your physical health, but also for your mental health, you know, exercising, eating a healthy, balanced diet, all these things mm -hmm. all sort of help to sort of, you know, better the whole, the whole package. Um, yeah. But one thing that I find sort of a bit of an oxymoron, I suppose, is for some people starting to improve their health and fitness to so say they've not exercised for a long time you know mm -hmm. and want to get back into exercise or they're just brand new to exercise they can find that quite overwhelming and quite anxiety provoking so they're like you know trying something new um yeah and then there's you know depending on what sort of exercise you're doing it can be very overwhelming because if you're not used to exercising you know you look at the weight section of the gym and think what is all this equipment like what do yeah. I do with it like how do yeah. I, like, I don't know where where to go with it so yeah. it's sort of getting that over that hurdle of being mm -hmm. anxious to start and feeling really overwhelmed about everything you could do because you know it's going to be it's going to be good for you in the long run yeah, so yeah. is there anything sort of tips or anything you you can you would add to, to sort of help you getting over that initial barrier yeah, it's tricky because obviously, as I've just talked about the brain there, so you, you, you're you quite right. In, when you're in your intellectual brain, you know, mm -hmm. I should be eating a balanced diet. I should be exercising. These are the things that are going to make me feel healthy and good. And they obviously do. Yeah. And um, when we're doing those things, we're producing more serotonin as well, which keeps us in that intellectual brain. So we can really, if we can try and be rational and keep the sort of long game in mind that's going to be really helpful if we once once we understand how the brain works I suppose when we can see these patterns of anxiety if you can have awareness that oh my brain is doing this because I'm in my primitive brain um what can I do to try and override this so we can be conscious about the things that we do but of course like you said the the those things that feel so difficult these new things it's because your your brain prefers familiarity it doesn't especially if you are very stressed and you spend a lot of time in your primitive mind that part of the brain doesn't want you to try new things because that's a risk and that part of the brain is trying to keep you healthy and a lot well not healthy it's just trying to keep you alive it doesn't care about your goals it doesn't care if you're happy it's just like literally you're still alive so i'm going to keep doing these same patterns of behavior because I've kept you alive mm -hmm. so you will feel like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone is so difficult um because your survival instinct is to is to not push yourself out of your comfort zone yeah. your survival instinct is to just carry on and be safe in what mm -hmm. you're doing um but yet we got these limiting beliefs in there that um you know we can go back to exactly like what you said before about feeling like um, I can't put myself out there because mm. I've been, you know, I've got my mind that if I try and do new things, then I'm going to end up failing or being embarrassed or, you know, other people in the gym are going to look at me or, you know, all these kind of stories that we tell ourselves. So I think... Well, 
I mean, it's that that old kind of phrase, sort of feel feel the fear and do it anyway, yeah. which can be hard when you are very stressed. And I appreciate if you are very very anxious, then that that can be a bit of a step too far. Um, but yeah, just trying to let go of the outcome, I suppose, and just be as present as you can. Um, a good exercise if you feel like you're not very you know you feel like you you always fail at things or you know you, you're not good enough is to kind of sit down and I do a lot of journaling now and I find that really helpful mm-hmm. um sort of find finding you can find journal prompts online or you can just write whatever flows or you can make up your own questions so maybe you could sit down and make a list of everything that I actually have achieved in my life and once you start writing all your achievements down, you start to override those negative feelings that the primitive brain is trying to protect you with. And you get, you build up more kind of the happy serotonin into your body when you start to recognize what your achievements actually are. And everybody has so many of them if you sit down and actually think about it. And it gets you back into that intellectual part of the brain where you do feel like actually I'm going to give it a go I'm going to you know I'm going to be I'm going to try this and if I if it doesn't work out then it's fine so those of us that spend time in that intellectual brain we we take risks and it doesn't matter if we fail but if people in the primitive brain failure is like the worst thing that you that can happen so it's kind of letting go of that which is is can be quite hard to do consciously but we can practice like I say, having awareness about our thoughts, challenging them, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, just getting curious about where they came from. So you, like, finding yours so quickly, like, it's kind of putting the pieces together like that and just trying to challenge those thoughts, I suppose. But um, the thing that I consciously ask my clients to to do when they're in therapy with me Sleep is the most important thing that you can do. So if you are struggling with your sleep, um, which so many people do, this is not going to help you um, empty what we call the stress bucket, where all the stress and anxiety is uh, in your brain. Because sleep is incredible for so many things. But when we have the rapid eye movement, part of our sleep the REM sleep part mm-hmm. um so we've got different parts of our sleep cycle this part is the bit when we dream and when we dream that process um is processing stress it's it's um changing all those emotional memories all those emotional upsetting annoying arguments whatever we've had that day or what are what's already in the stress bucket from other days it works to process those through our dreams and it changes them to a narrative memory where we can just, we still remember it maybe, but we don't have that emotional attachment to it. So people that don't sleep well, don't don't have that process happening for them properly. So they are stuck. They're stuck in stress and anxiety. So making sure you sleep, it's, it's, I could talk about this for a long, long time because there's so much to it, but sleep is so important. And again, I think in our culture, we don't, you know, we don't recognize how important it is. And, you know, people 
will stay up and work late and and not give themselves that time to wind down on a night and mm. and try and be in a good sleep routine so that is my top tip um because once you start to empty the stress in the stress bucket you will be able to have more courage to try new things um and then also we t- i talk about the three p's as well which very quickly um is positive actions or activities positive interactions with other people and positive thoughts um when we can try and keep things i mean it sounds so obvious doesn't it but if we can try and keep things as positive as we can in our life yeah and notice the good um then we produce these happy um, hormones in our body we produce the serotonin Mm -hmm. and that stops us from being so stressed and anxious but it's consciously we can do a lot um but a lot of it is in the subconscious mind, which is obviously what I work with as a as a hypnotherapist to undo those things. Yep. But yeah, we all, I think so many of us just don't really recognize the good that's happening all around us, especially if we're in our primitive brain. It doesn't allow you to notice it. So, um, and, and making sure that we're doing things that we enjoy and prioritizing ourselves as number one. So when it comes to exercise and fitness and things, trying to keep that those intellectual thoughts in mind I'm you know I'm not doing it because I want to be thin I'm not doing it you know because I want to look better than other people I'm doing it because it makes me feel amazing and and I, you know I'm healthy when I do this and my you know I'm in less pain or whatever it is like so focusing rather on those things rather than the kind of comparison type things that a lot of people yep. might be doing it for because they don't feel good enough yeah no I, I love that honestly like my brain is just blo- you're blowing my mind here Katie with all these things that you're coming <laughs> up with I love it and it's like I think we have a very similar sort of ethos towards that as well you know because like even with my clients so they do a, a weekly check-in and one of the questions I always ask is three wins of the week but it's not it can't be anything to do with scale weight. So even if their goal, one of their goals is fat loss, it can't be anything to do with scale weight because it's just yeah. to try and get them to reinforce the things they've done that is that are really good and take away all the the sort of wins, if you like, or the progress from being completely about the scales. Because yeah, you know you. You can be any. You can be in any sized body. You could be in, mm-hmm. you know, a larger body and feel great. You can yeah. be in a smaller body and feel great. But you're right. It's absolutely about how you feel and about your health. That's the the most important thing. Mm. Um, and I, I love how you touched there on comparisons because that was one thing I wanted to ask you as well. Because again, <clears throat> women in particular are so guilty of it. You know, you see all this. You know, you're you're scrolling on social media and you see this one, and you think, oh, I wish I had those abs, or I wish I had that bum, or I wish I had whatever that car, all yeah. that stuff. Um, and we all know we shouldn't do it, but like, how damaging is comparison really? Like, why why should we stop doing it from from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, it is really damaging to your self worth. I think we all know that deep down, don't we? But it, the thing is, it goes back to those limiting beliefs that we've collected, um, where we don't feel like we're good enough. Um, so if you're always comparing yourself to other people, or if you're always worrying what other people think, and you're looking for external validation, 
then it's it's so hard to you need to kind of flip your way of thinking to be finding peace with yourself and acceptance and loving yourself for who you are and um you know letting go of that judgment of yourself um and I've been there myself honestly like um I remember a few years ago I was the slimmest I've ever been and I, I was going to the gym loads and I look back at pictures of myself now and I'm like wow you know I actually look really great mm -hmm. um but I didn't think that at the time I was like well I'm not you know I haven't got abs and I don't look like this person and you know looking at other people and social media has got so much to answer for yeah. um, hasn't it really and for as I mean but for me I I got my limiting beliefs about body size as a child because when I was growing up it was magazines and things like that but it was skinny supermodels was what was in and it was that you know heroin chic look and we all wanted to be waifs yeah. you know and that's just you yeah. know there was no there was no kind of just being happy with with who you are and um, I think so many of us have feel like that or have felt like that in the past but yeah it's it's comparisonitis is you know it's it's just so bad for your own self-worth for sure yeah so yeah it's I know it can be hard but again trying to reframe your thoughts and thinking well what have I achieved you know what do I love about myself and you know okay I've got flaws but we've all got flaws and you know it's not bad to have flaws like even these people that we see on social media that maybe look perfect it's a lot of the time you know we know when we think intellectually it's it's rose-tinted glasses isn't it yeah. everybody's showing their best side you mm. don't know what's going on behind the scenes that that person that may look incredible maybe they've got an eating disorder yeah. um and that you don't know about and you know they're battling that as well so mm -hmm. when you cannot see the full picture when you're comparing and I think that's it's really important to just try and bring yourself back to the present moment and and just learn to love yourself for who you are flaws and all and be doing it things for the right reasons like we like we said before rather than trying to look as good as that person just trying to be the best that you can be yeah and be be satisfied that you're a work in progress as well and that's okay and you know it doesn't matter um if if you don't end up like meeting this goal perhaps that goal is you know if you're a perfectionist which I think was another thing that we wanted to talk about mm -hmm. you may be setting your goals way too high <laughs> anyway yeah. like you know unsustainable kind of things so um yeah I hope that answers that a bit it's no, that's yeah it's very difficult to to stop comparing but it's definitely not good for us yeah no it is it's you know and I think like I mean I've always had you know quite a positive relationship with food I've always had quite a positive body image in myself so that yeah. side of things I've really not struggled with but you know it's even so it's like a rabbit hole like you know if once mm. you start looking you just sort of fall down so no matter what it is you know it's it's so yeah. easy to get sucked into it um and I like there that you you touched on perfectionism because this is absolutely something um that I think a lot of people struggle with and even like you know I see it with a lot of my clients where 
it's that sort of you know maybe it's a bit of sort of all or nothing mindset as well you know it's yeah this they get into this way of thinking that if everything's not 100% spot on the field you know because even like I ask my clients on like a weekly basis to sort of rate things so whether that's their training or their nutrition and quite often they'll rate themselves quite low and I'll say right well why have you rated why have you rated this so low oh well because I had this or because I ate this and I'm like yeah but that's that's all everything else like look at what you have achieved you know you've got all your workouts ticked off you've you know improved your water intake you've eaten fruit and vegetables every day but you ate the bar of chocolate that you didn't expect to eat that doesn't um like that doesn't warrant you giving yourself such a low result in your minds it's like it's not being perfect and it's something like I say it just comes up again and again and again so like where where does this come from and how can we how can we try and shift ourselves gently away from away from yeah. it? <laughs> Again, it's it's those limiting beliefs. So perfectionism is anxiety, basically. Yep. Um, it links to that fear of not being good enough again, or fear of judgment of others. So, um, we set ourselves really high standards, and we, you know, we expect to master things straight away when we're a perfectionist, and the the bar is too high. And we try and do too much and it all starts to fall down on us then. And ultimately we, we end up failing and it's a cycle. Um, and then off, and then maybe people don't do things in the first place as well because they, they, their perfectionism holds them back because they, yes. they, they are scared of failure. So yep. we talked about that before, didn't we? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, those of us that, um, you know, beat, beating yourself up about having some chocolate or whatever but having done everything else perfect yeah it's the standards you've set your standards way too high yeah and I'm sure that you would agree as well that you know we, we should be able to enjoy some chocolate in our life exactly. anyway like you, you have to uh-huh. because it's unsustainable like yeah. if you try and cut out everything like that I mean mm-hmm. you know these things are nice and they're to be enjoyed yeah um moderately yeah obviously we can go over the top with those things but if we if we use if we're in our intellectual brain as I've talked Mm -hmm. about before you can enjoy a bit of chocolate Mm -hmm. and you know that that's not going to um sabotage everything for you and you can still make progress and um so yeah it's those high standards that we have for ourselves and again formed probably in childhood perhaps you had a critical parent or something like that that might have you know you didn't quite meet the mark or you you felt that they felt that way it might they might it might have just been what you were sensing from them they may not have um said anything in particular but I know that a lot of the time people that are perfectionists it's usually down to the parents had high standards for them so they formed that limiting belief and then that's it that's how they behave now if if they don't get 100 percent, then they failed and they're not good enough yeah do you think it's worth like just for people listening right if which I'm pretty sure everybody that is listening is going to be thinking this is me this is me this is me yeah do you think it's worthwhile like 
doing a little bit of sort of self-exploration with this stuff. So like maybe thinking, you know, do I remember anything or, you know, what's the sort of, what's the sort of range of where you could do a bit of self-exploration and where it's maybe better if you get sort of um, like professional help if it's a sort of, if there is a scale, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I can see what you're saying there. I think it's definitely worth having a think about where these things come from because a lot of us walk around completely oblivious because these are subconscious thoughts, remember? So we don't necessarily realise <laughs> what yeah. we're like until we start to really have some awareness about about how how and why we're thinking the way we are. So it's definitely worth exploring for sure. And and if you are a perfectionist, trying to, yeah, where, where does this come from? Why do I behave like this? And then and then trying to think of it intellectually, like I keep going back to, but you know, can I, you know, can I take the pressure off myself mm-hmm. here? You know, does it matter if I you know, slightly fail at this. No, what is the actual, in the long term, what is the outcome? Yeah. You know, it's not a big deal. And and trying to sort of zoom out, I suppose, from something and seeing the big picture mm-hmm. and then, then going back in and thinking, well, you know, actually in the long run, even if I have um, a few bars of chocolate every week, it, mm-hmm. it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I can still you know, I can still get stronger. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's nothing wrong with having chocolate. Like, have yeah. it, it's nice. <laughs> well, this is something if, so if a client does say this to me, my response is normally, I want you to have a piece of chocolate every single day, yeah. every single day of your life, just to like, because you're so right, you know, it's, chocolate is amazing. Chocolate is there to be enjoyed. And it's what I, the sort of, the method that I use with regards to health and fitness, it's 100% balance so mm. you should be able to exercise drink enough water drink a mm. glass of wine mm. go for a walk do go running eat the chocolate eat all mm. the vegetables it's just getting that really healthy happy balance where everything sort of is in almost feels in sync and yeah that was why yeah. like one of the reasons that I wanted to get you on as well was just because you can't really you know you can do all the physical stuff but you have to sort of if all the mental stuff's going on in the background yeah you know it's really good to sort of explore that side of it as well I think to, yeah to Absolutely. balance it all out so that you just it goes hand in hand yeah it really does go hand in hand yeah and um I think perhaps I'd, I'm, I'm guessing that some of your clients probably have may have had issues with emotional eating and things like that and yep. that is again that's these are subconscious brain patterns yep. um, because if you're anxious if you if you are a tendency for depression or anything like that then you're spending a lot of time in that primitive brain and the primitive brain as it's geared up for survival it doesn't care about you eating vegetables and drinking water mm-hmm. it feels like you're in danger and when you're in danger, the sensible thing to do is to reach for sugary, fatty snacks so that you can run away from that danger. Yep. So that's how, that's, how, I mean, it, you could, again, I could do a full podcast on emotional eating, to be honest, um, because, but this is where it comes from. And so these, if if that's the case, then you probably have this really powerful subconscious limiting belief that, mm-hmm. again, 
you might just keep sabotaging yourself because it keeps pulling you back. Yeah. So it can be very tricky to consciously change. Um, so yeah, that's that's where my work comes in basically to try to change those subconscious patterns. But it's not impossible, but it's harder. Yeah. Especially if it's something that you've been carrying around for so long and it's really ingrained. Yeah. Um so yeah, just keep yeah, but being curious about it is definitely definitely worthwhile trying to figure out where all this has come from Mm -hmm. rationalizing things and keep going over the rational point of view and um and that can that can retrain that how the brain thinks as well yeah definitely oh I love this honestly Katie I think we may have to do like a 10-part series because there's just (laughs) a million million questions that I could ask you Um, but I'm always I'm keeping an eye on the time here I don't want to take up the entire day um (laughs) so Right. Where can people find you and how can they work with you like through your your services? Yeah. Um, so you've already spoken about Instagram. I've got quite um, a lot of posts on there. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at the hypnotherapy den. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a Facebook page as well. It's not quite as um, I started that a bit later. Um, I've got a website where you can, um, if you wanted to book a consultation with me, I do face-to-face in Leeds, but I also do Zoom. So I work with anybody over Zoom and it's just as effective over Zoom. In fact, a lot of people prefer it because they Mm -hmm. can be in the comfort of their own home and not have to commute anywhere or anything like that. So yeah, my website is uh, www.thehypnotherapyden.co.uk. Um, and yeah, that's the, that's the best way to contact me. Basically, you can obviously DM me, you can email me. All the details are on the website. Oh, thank you, honestly, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm pretty sure anybody listening, if you've got any questions for Katie, like just fire them over to her. Like, I'm sure she would be happy to answer them. Yes. Um, but thank you so much. I'm going to be thinking about this all day now. Thinking like, <laughs> what are some other beliefs that like I've got in there that I could. Definitely. I'm going to be picking up our things now. (laughs) No, thank you for having me. It's been really great to share. Oh, right. And who knows, maybe this is part one of a new series. We never know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) Oh, right. Katie, thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you. See you later.